Hey guys, Jim Cox, Devon Financial Partners, Park Avenue Securities. And I'm here today with an interview with Paul Beckwith. He's a uh, climate researcher, scientist, been working on the subject for a number of years. And we had actually done an interview about two years ago. And what I wanted to do is kind of get an update on what he's seen as far as changes um, of what's going on in uh, the world of climate change and what kind of progress we're making, if any, and how things have basically how things have changed in the meantime. So, Paul, thanks for taking the time to to connect. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Awesome. So, why don't you uh, give everybody a little bit of uh, background about kind of what you do, where you've come from, and who you are. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm an engineer and um, also a physicist. I, I studied engineering physics at McMaster University and um, did a master's degree in uh, laser physics and uh, worked in research in that field um, for quite a few years. But since about, uh, I've, I've always had an interest in climate change and what was happening and uh, you know it's become a lot more in your face um, in the last uh, decade or so so I've uh, you know been at the University of Ottawa in the laboratory for paleoclimatology uh, studying abrupt climate change um, and uh, also teaching lots of courses I've taught about uh, seven courses or so on Introduction to climate change and meteorology, um, geographical approaches to environmental issues, uh, oceanography, and uh, things like that. And uh, I have a uh, blog, paulbeckwith.net, that I update usually a couple times a week. And I usually do um, put out a video onto YouTube, 15-minute video on some aspect of climate change, solutions, etc. Usually do that at least a couple times a week um, on average. So I have hundreds of videos um, on all different topics, all different, uh, all different amounts of detail. Some are very technical and scientific, and other ones are more sort of joining the dots or opinions or things on solutions, um, just on sort of the state of the climate, the state of the world, things like that. Gotcha. So um, one of the things when we talked back in 2016, um, one of the things you said was you that um, basically it's your view that the uh, warming in the Arctic is destabilizing the climate system. I know that in, um, what was it, in January, there was a temperature spike of like 40, 50 degrees in the Arctic, which was obviously way out of the norm. Uh, what do you see happening there right now? Yes, yeah, so the, there's a lot of feedback um, that are occurring in the climate system that are greatly accelerating the rate of change of whatever parameter we, we want to measure. So um, these, these feedbacks are, um, they're called positive feedback, not positive, not, in, not po positive being that um, 
the changes are, are amplified. They're, they're amplifying feedback. There's nothing positive to, to humans about <laughs> these changes, these, these things that are happening. Um, but as opposed to negative feedback, which would be breaking or decelerating feedback. So, so these positive feedback, the, the largest one or the one that you may have heard people talk about is the darkening of the Arctic. We're losing the sea ice covering the Arctic Ocean um, and, you know, the melt in the summer um, is getting more and more severe. Very soon we'll have an Arctic Ocean with no sea ice. So when, when you replace the ice, which reflects a lot of the incoming sunlight in, in the Arctic summers with uh, the dark ocean underneath, when, the, when there's less and less ice cover, then that darkens it, the situation. You get more absorption of the solar radiation. The ocean heats up. Therefore, you'll get less and less ice. And it's a vicious spiral to leading to no ice. And also, the snow cover in the Arctic is decreasing uh, at an even faster rate, almost double the rate that the sea ice is decreasing. So when you lose the snow on the land, say in the spring, you know, in Siberia or northern Canada, then there's darker land underneath the tundra, the permafrost, the taiga, or whatever, you know, which is what they call it in, in um, Russia. Uh, those those surfaces are darker and you absorb more more uh, light, so you get more and more heating. So as, we, as the Arctic's darkening, um, the warming is getting much, much larger, much faster. And the jet streams are guided the guide weather events are being disrupted by the greatly warming Arctic. So how how is the jet stream being disrupted? Like, have you seen that already in terms of the weather this year or in the past two years? Yes. Yeah, so you mentioned the Arctic um, beginning of the year becoming 40 degrees warmer or so than the uh, than normal. And what's happening is, is the, the jet stream, which circumvents the, um, the, the, the planet in the north, so in the, north, the northern hemisphere of the jet stream, the jet streams are, are, exist because the, you've got a cold Arctic and a warm equator, and that temperature gradient sets up the motion of air, which sets up the jet streams, and the oceans, it sets up the ocean currents. So... The jet stream, as it slows down, it becomes wavier and stuck in place. And it's why we're seeing an increase in the frequency, severity, and duration of extreme weather events around the planet, like torrential rains leading to floods or droughts in, in other places. Hmm. What um, What is possible to kind of restore things to balance in terms of getting the jet stream to back to normalcy or is that even possible at this point well whether it's possible or not is you know another question but we have to try to um we have to try to to, to do what we can and there's um i i like to talk about this is sort of climate restoration, if you like. Mm-hmm. the The goal is to the goal is, you know, we all grew up 
um, if we're if we're you know older, you or you and I, we grew up uh, with a more stable climate. Um, so as children, we enjoyed a more stable climate. So all we're trying to do is restore the climate so that our children and our children's children can enjoy a uh, stable, healthy climate. So how, how would we do this? Um, the, you know, I think it's pretty clear that we have to slash fossil fuel emissions around the, the world um, rapidly, as quickly as possible. And uh, this, this, you know, we know that, we will know that governments are serious about this when they stop, when they eliminate subsidies to fossil fuel companies. Right now, globally, it's about $5 trillion or so. And uh, so, so basically, when they're talking about carbon taxes or carbon fees and dividend or carbon cap and trade, they're really not being sincere because they still have fossil fuel subsidies to dwarf any of these taxes or, or cap and trade or fees. And, and all these things are insignificant compared to subsidies on fossil fuels. So they're not, they're being very disingenuous to um, say that they're taking action on climate change. So that's the first thing, slashing fossil fuels. Uh, we also need to, we actually, we need to try to stabilize the climate system by ensuring that the snow and ice stays up in the Arctic. So there's different methods of so-called solar radiation management to uh, try to restore uh, sea ice in the Arctic, for example, or generate low-level marine clouds to cause cooling, etc. There's a whole umbrella of technologies that uh, we can, we need to actually start deploying, research and start deploying. This is carbon dioxide removal, or, or sorry, solar radiation management. And again, we're always going to have an unstable climate with greenhouse gas levels as high as they are. So we need to try to lower greenhouse gas levels to the 300 part per million level or so, which um, historically was the upper limit of, the, of, greenhouse, of, of carbon dioxide on, on the planet over the last millions of years of, of these cycles. It, it varied between about 180 and 280 parts per million um, over the Ice Age cycle over the last million, number of millions of years. What, um, when you look at like a lot of the, uh, the weather impacts that are taking place, you have a lot of, uh, obviously forest fires that due to the dryness and so forth, that's, um, due to the heat, um, but the forest fires end up destroying really carbon absorbing capacity in terms of forests. Yes, yes, that's right. So there, this, this, these are some of the other feedbacks that are making things worse. As, as we get um, warmer and uh, drier conditions over, say, boreal forests, for example, then they're um, weakened by diseases and pests such as um, pine beetle or emerald ash borer. So the, 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 the health of the forests are weakened, they're dry, um, and they're, they're therefore susceptible to these massive uh, wildfires that we're seeing. So those wildfires destroy the um, 
forest, which so therefore they greatly reduce the um, the, the the carbon sink that the forest used to behave as in, in pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Also, the ash from the fires of the northern boreal forest goes right up into the Arctic and covers the sea ice and covers the snow and the glaciers and things and uh, makes them darker so they absorb more solar radiation and therefore heat up even more and then uh, you get a whole vicious cycle there. And so I fully expect that you know, if the trends continue, and I don't see why they wouldn't at the moment, humanity is, you know, basically doing nothing about this issue, um, then we're going to lose uh, sea ice um, in the summer, and the ocean, the Arctic is going to warm very, very fast when there's no less, when there's a lot less ice and no ice, because that energy that goes into melting ice will just now go into heating up the ocean. So the Temperatures in the Arctic will will uh, skyrocket when there's when there's a lack of ice, and then of course Greenland is a huge concern because melt from Greenland uh, greatly increases sea level rise, and we've seen sea level rise uh, you know starting to spike up. We're getting we're getting these uh, um, sunny day flooding events along the east coast of the U.S., for example, where you know. Coastal uh, yeah. So um, on the eastern coast of the of the um, U.S., there's there's a number of cities that are starting to experience uh, sunny day flooding events. So uh, you know, streets on and coastal regions, coastal parts of the you know parts of these cities on the coast are starting to get some flooding um, when there's no apparent cause, there's no big hurricane, there's no big storm surge, um, there's no tsunamis reported anywhere, and uh, we're getting water overrunning streets and stuff on, on the coast. And this is, you know, sea level rise is accelerating. This is one of the problems. These cascading climate feedbacks are kicking the change, uh, increasing the rates of, of, of climate change. And, and uh, this, this is why I call it, you know, very rapid climate change or abrupt climate change. And a li there, there's lots of exponentially increasing effects. So we have exponential loss of Arctic sea ice, exponential loss of snow cover in the Arctic, especially in spring, exponential rises in, green, in carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, in methane levels in the atmosphere. And all of these, all of these things are happening, and the biggest risk to humanity in the short term is a disruption in the uh, global uh, food supply, which would cause huge uh, geopolitical implications around around the world, around the planet, basically. What do you see causing the the disruption in the global food supply? Well, to give you an idea. Um, We've had, so in 2010, for example, the jet stream was stuck. Um, so there was a trough over Pakistan uh, for about a month. It rained uh, almost every day, flooded three quarters of the country. The, there, the ridge of that jet stream, um, so there was a trough and then there was a ridge next to it. The ridge covered um, Moscow, 
there was temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius most of the uh, month, and uh, it destroyed about 40% of, of Russia's grain supply. So Russia could not export any grain that year, and that triggered the Arab Spring event at the time. This was back in 2012, right? In, in 2010. Okay. So, so what's been happening, um, so we're seeing other cases where, for example, there'll be a trough of the jet stream stuck over Europe, with torrential rains over large parts of many countries in Europe, causing uh, flooding, et cetera, of fields and, you know, the vegetables, um, the vegetable crops uh, fail. Um, we've had a persistent drought over Southern California, which grows a lot of food to supply the U.S. Um, that drought lasted, I don't know, five, six, seven years, and then it broke for a couple of years, and it's sort of heading back to there now. So all we need is a number, is, is a, a, as we get more and more frequent um, events, extreme weather events, and more and more frequent losses of food production in specific regions of the world, once there's a synchronization of these events, and we'll have a uh, global food shortage. So with the Arctic sea ice law, you know, if the Arctic... Uh, Sea ice, in fact, does go. We have a blue ocean event, say, by 2020, 2022, something like that. Then we're looking at greatly increased risk of disruptions to global food supplies in about that time frame. Gotcha. Um, I know that um, Argentina's had its fair share this past year, too, of, of uh, drought, which has actually impacted crop prices. Um, Yes, exactly. And Argentina, you know, financially, I mean, it looks like it's almost on the verge of financial collapse. Um, and how that can impact the global uh, picture is, um, you know, is, I mean, there's, there, there's increased risk to, to the global economic uh, and financial uh, markets and things from, from that sort of thing, you know, it can be a trigger. I mean, the, the uh, you know the, the 2010 um, uh, the 2010 lack of export of grain from Russia that triggered shortages in the Middle East and we saw the Arab Spring you know Syria it, it's a record long drought from 2006 to 2010 that forced uh, took away the livelihoods of about one and a half million farmers. Um, who then moved to the cities, and of course there was civil unrest, and the, the country broke apart. Um, so there's all of these uh, triggers from climate change um, that are starting to impact the, the global system now. So what would you suggest as far as like uh, points of action for you know the typical typical citizen to? Um, treat this information? Like, what are the action steps that somebody should take? Well, it's, um, you know, a, a, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, a person going and jumping off a bridge, we don't want anybody to do that, right? I mean, we need to get, we need to, uh, we need people and governments to recognize that we're in a global climate change emergency. And we don't have the luxury of time and talk any longer. We, we have to take action, and that action is getting 
um, government to, you know, really seriously work at reductions of fossil fuel emissions, you know, both in their countries and putting pressure on other governments um, to, to do the same. So, so we need to. I used. I talked about the three-legged bar stool um, idea of what we needed to do to address this uh, climate change emergency. And the first thing is slashing fossil fuel emissions. The second thing is solar radiation management to cool the Arctic to try to stabilize the climate system. And the third thing is carbon dioxide removal. Removing carbon dioxide from... Okay, so the, the, third, um, the third thing the third leg of this three-legged barstool bar set of solutions to address the climate emergency we're in is carbon dioxide removal. We need to um, implement and deploy um, methods, and, and they do exist, to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. We need to, you know, right now our fossil fuel emissions are, we're, we're adding about 10 gigatons of carbon um, per year, that's almost 40 gigatons of, of CO2 if you do the conversion, but 10, so 10, 10 billion tons of uh, carbon per year. So we need to be removing about that much from the uh, climate system in order to stabilize the climate. So it's, 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 and this is a huge task, obviously, um, but there are different things that people are looking at um, and we need just to, we need to really scale them up a lot. Um, mm -hmm. There's about a dozen startup companies that are doing direct air capture, which is basically creating processes that remove CO2 from the atmosphere. I think the quickest and easiest way to do it would be to utilize the ocean. We've destroyed most of the biomass in the oceans, in fact, on, on the whole planet. We've, we've lost, in, in the last um, century, century and a half, we've lost about 50% of the biomass on the planet. Um, in the oceans, for example, you know, we've lost 90% of the large fish, the large marine creatures in the ocean um, have gone. We've had reductions of, of uh, phytoplankton uh, approaching 40, 30, 40 percent in the last uh, four or five decades. So we can, uh, if we, there are methods where we can restore and greatly accelerate the number of phytoplankton that are in the ocean and they'll act as huge carbon sinks. And, you know, the oceans comprise, of course, the bulk of the land, uh, the bulk of the surface area of, of the planet, you know, 70 percent or so. So I'm, you know, it's, um, I, there, there's different methods to, to do that, and I've talked about them in some of my videos, and I'll be having a lot of videos in the next uh, month or so on different techniques that we can do to do both CDR, carbon dioxide removal, and solar radiation management. Um, and governments are starting to talk more about these things. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me and to anybody else who's really looking at the overall climate system that A, we're in an emergency, and B, um, there are things that we need to actively do to try to stabilize the climate system. So I, I call it 
you know, climate restoration. Gotcha. So what you're saying really is that the technology exists, it's just a matter of the willpower to put the money towards scaling up the existing yeah. technology yeah. to it, it, make it a difference. It's, uh, it's, I mean, the, the first thing is the, is the recognition by the public that the, the, the system has destabilized and we're, you know, we're really in an emergency situation. And then the next thing is to, you know, rein in the, uh, rein in people or, you know, around the world. Like, like we've got a, there's, there's a lot of, um, fake news. There's a lot, I, you know, fake news is an oxymoron, right? Really. Um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bad actors out there that are, that are spreading nonsense about climate change and about, uh, ways to deal with, with, with climate change. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, you know, that if you don't accept that fossil fuels, um, that carbon dioxide, methane in the atmosphere absorb more heat, you know, then you have to try to find other ways to explain the extreme weather events that are happening. So people are talking about, uh, grand solar minimums and changes in the, you know, spraying stuff into the skies right now and all kinds of different things, which they're, they're just spreading all of, all of this nonsense to avoid accepting the idea that, yeah, we've changed the chemistry of the atmosphere and the oceans uh, through our fossil fuel uh, burning through the combustion process. It's just basic uh, chemistry and physics. Gotcha. So, um, what uh, you mentioned your uh, website where people could uh, learn more about the work that you do. What what is it again? It's Paul Beckwith. Yes, yes, just uh, Paul Beckwith. P A U L Paul Beckwith. B E C K W I T H dot net. And uh, also, you can just Google my name um, on YouTube, and uh, you know, get access to to all of my videos, YouTube videos, and on my website, there's a word search on the right-hand uh, margin, and you can, you know, if you want to find out about Antarctica or greenhouse gases or, you know, uh, extreme weather events or methane or any, any, any particular topic related to climate change, I've probably done a video to cover it at some point. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate your taking the time and uh, updating us, and uh, we'll stay in touch, and we'll see kind of how things progress in the uh, months and years to come. Yes. Okay, well, appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your great questions. Thank you. Okay.